It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Certain regions of our brains are always at work at involuntary activities like daydreaming, worrying about the future, and self-talk. This mind-wandering can stop us from keeping our attention in the present moment. We spend a great deal of time and energy trying to control this incessant chatter. But according to today's guest, Dr. Moshe Barr, we can harness the default activity in our brains and use it to our benefit. Dr. Barr is an internationally renowned cognitive neuroscientist. He is a former director of the Cognitive Neuroscience Lab at Harvard Medical School and the Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Barr's new book is Mind Wandering, How Your Constant Mental Drift Can Improve Your Mood and Boost Your Creativity. Welcome, Dr. Barr. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Doctor, we spend a great deal of time and energy trying to keep our brains from mind wandering. According to various studies, our minds wander up to 47% of our waking time. What is mind wandering and where does our mind go when it wanders? Well, there are many questions packed in one this uh, seemingly made uh, uh, question. It, it actually, it goes, it has a life of its own, so, so to speak. Um, we have very little control over when our mind wanders, when it stops wandering, and where it goes, where it wanders. But in my book, I talk about different kind of mental histories or things that have happened in your brain just before can definitely determine the direction of your wandering. So you can be wandering to planning something or trying to think about a problem that bothered you before. So uh, it's not completely random where we wander to. Um, but yeah, we, we really have very little control over it. And it has, in, your, in the other part of your question, why do we wander? Why does our mind wander? It has many benefits uh, beyond uh, the downside of taking us from the moment and keeping us occupied. It has a lot of uh, advantages to creativity and mood especially. When we spend yeah. so much time mind wandering, what does that do to our lives? What type of impact does it have on us? Well, for one, it distracts us from from really experiencing the present. So uh, the way that the Buddhists have talked about it and, and all this mi- uh, mindfulness wave and, and people talk about meditation, we all realize that we're missing a lot of in, in our lives just by not being present. So when I'm listening to my daughter telling me about some story from uh, school that's not overly demanding for me to listen, then another part of my brain starts to wonder, and I miss a lot of what she says, I miss a lot about her expressions, a lot of uh, of other kind of uh, nuances of communication that I would have enjoyed otherwise. I can maybe phrase it more provocatively that uh, when you're eating a mango, it will taste differently if you're busy and occupied or if you're thinking about your experience and you really are in the present. So it really takes us away from what we can enjoy. It can also take us away from bad things. So I'm not sure that it's not good uh, when, you, when you're lying in the bed with a chair to actually wander and do go somewhere else. So maybe it's recommended uh, that you not 
be in the moment, in moments that you don't want to be in. Do you sometimes think that it's a mechanism to enable us to escape from something traumatic? Oh, wow, that's a great question. I haven't phrased it like this, but yeah, it's a really good question. So it, it also ties to your first question about where does it go. So I think that uh, I really, my intuition, there's no evidence for this, but my intuition is that you're completely right here that uh, when people try to avoid thinking about trauma, people with PTSD, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, they definitely don't want to revisit the trauma in their mind. So they do everything possible. But there's something curious about the mind, and I do write about it, that it's called the ironic process, that the more you try to avoid thinking about something, the more you think about it. It's a beautiful uh, line of thesis that was uh, done by uh, a late and great colleague of mine, Dan Wagner at Harvard, that showed that it actually inspired from a Dostoevsky uh, story. But the idea there was to tell people not to think about white bears, and this is the only thing they were actually thinking about. So leaving, leaving people be and just uh, thinking about white bears much less than when they're sorry, specifically not to think about it. So this obviously has a lot of implications to exactly what you're saying, that when we try to not think about the trauma, actually that, that makes us more obsessed about this trauma. So not directly telling yourself not to think about something achieves the opposite effect. So it's really you need to be, to be more sophisticated with your mind. You're trying to fool your mind. When you promote mind wandering in situations like that, can it lead to healing? Can it create some type of a creative solution to the problem that you're trying to avoid? Well, again, there are two things here. So uh, uh, I don't personally believe that you can cure a trauma without visiting it. So just by avoiding it, at some point, I believe that you can't escape it. But you did say also in your question about finding creative solutions. So a lot of what we do when we wonder is we call it incubate. We incubate on a problem. So our creative process is that, I mean, sometimes in this, uh, in those aha moments where we have an epiphany or some kind of an insight, it almost feels like pixie dust, but it's really coming from our subconscious doing this incubation behind the screen and thinking about creative solutions for ourselves. So the mind, uh, there's no reason it won't be the case that the mind also tries to find a creative solution to dealing with the trauma behind the scenes during your, during your mind wandering and that kind of uh, affect your conscious living more. So what are some of the positive things that result when we tap into this? I would start off by saying that actually a lot of my friends are thankful to me because I kind of gave them permission not to feel guilty uh, and to myself also not to feel guilty when I'm being caught or when I catch myself wandering. So when realizing that it has so many um, advantages, you realize it's actually a very productive time and we shouldn't be feeling that we're not, you know, I should feel guilty when I'm trying to listen to my daughter and instead I'm wondering for something at work. But otherwise, you know, just staying in bed in the morning, just extra 15 minutes to wander, that, that's completely productive and it's completely okay to do because the mind does a lot of things uh, that are good for us during those uh, intervals. And you mentioned that the 47%, the, the half of our waking time uh, that is dedicated for mind wandering. So when you think about evolution, it won't allow a process that takes so much energy. I mean, mind wandering takes takes uh, a great deal of energy, metabolic energy from our body and from our brain. So there's got to be a reason. And that's uh, how we as scientists try to explore and, you know, the, the quest of 
characterizing what is the function of mind wandering. There's no way evolution instilled, us, instilled mind wandering in us if it didn't have a purpose, and it was just a nuisance or something that takes us away from, from our lives. Really. So uh, in my own research, I emphasize both creativity and mood. But I first wanted to say that, that other great uh, labs also identify the, our representation of the self, and I also cover all these aspects in the book, that uh, we have, we each have um, a representation or knowledge or some kind of entity in our mind that is ourself. We, we know how you would respond in a different situation you can imagine. You know what you like, you know what you don't like. So the self, the capital S, is also mediated by, by you know, represented by this wandering mind. And second thing is that we think about others. We call it theory of mind. So always in interaction with others, we try to anticipate what they're thinking, what are their intentions, why did they say what they did, or why did they act as, as they just did. So understanding ourselves and understanding others uh, are two core uh, faculties of, of, of mind wandering and, and the brain network that mediates this wandering. Uh, but I think something that, that is way more applicable in everyday life is uh, our thinking about creativity and mood. So both are, I'm sure you agree with me, both are central to our being. Both how we feel in terms of mood really affects how we enjoy our lives. And creativity, creativity is a big deal. I, I see over the years with my research how much interest there is in creativity from people just because, you know, there's something optimistic about being creative. And the idea that we can be more or less creative, the same individual, it's not destiny, it's not that you're born with a certain level of creativity and that's it, but certain states of mind and certain circumstances can, emphasize, can amplify how creative you are in a certain, in a given situation. So I'm not saying that we can all become Leonardo da Vinci, but we can be more or less creative depending on how much we let our mind wander and broadly. So... If, if you don't mind, I'll just emphasize, I'm just to elaborate on what does it mean broadly, because if, if listeners would like to utilize this, this uh, research in their, or incorporate it into their daily lab, maybe it's something that I want to, maybe to elaborate on. So mm-hmm. think about all the things you know in memory. There's a giant network, giant uh, uh, yes, network of nodes connected to each other. So everything is connected to everything, and it's just a matter of how many steps you need to go from uh, cat to tomato, for example. So cat and dog is very close, and cat and tomato are further, but still everything is connected. Mm-hmm. So when we wander, we, when we wander, we can be wandering very narrowly. Let's say something bothers you from yesterday, so your mind kind of grinds only this aspect and only this issue. So you wander and you wander and you wander, but you stay very narrowly on this network. And on the other hand, when you try to find a creative solution and you think more freely, uh, which is what we call broad thinking, then you can really travel without borders, without limits on this on this uh, network. That's why creative solutions and creative people come up with things that, what, what does it mean to be original? So you don't take the immediate solution, you don't take the narrow solution, but rather you travel on this network broadly. So when you wander, and especially when it's coupled with good mood, then your wandering is, is broader and it's much more conducive of, of creative ideas of creative thinking. So as we say, uh, I mean, narrow, narrow wandering can translate into something that we call rumination, which is a hallmark of uh, depression. So if you wander narrowly, as I just explained on this network, if you, if you uh, ruminate and you just wander narrowly, then it, it might end up being a, a clinical depression. 
so it's really a good idea to um, try to let your mind uh, uh, free, let your mind free, and, and let it go when you know when it's appropriate. I'm not saying that when you when you drive really fast on your car on the freeway, it's not a good idea to, to wonder even about creative things. But by and large, we do want to uh, let our mind be. Well, and I think if you're afraid to take action in one direction or make a decision, I think by being able to sit down and allow your mind to think of all the possible scenarios that could play out, I, I think that could actually help you to eliminate mm-hmm. those fears and, and to make better decisions. Yes, I think it's brilliant. Uh, it ties to how we look at create creativity. If you want to think about a shape, so it's like a diamond. So initially, when you have to think about creative solution, there's what we call divergent thinking. So you think all over the place, and your mind at this stage doesn't have a tensor. It doesn't have anything to limit, and everything goes. And sometimes I, I consult to companies and I tell them that the proper way to do brainstorming is there's no boss, there's no tensor, there's no somebody that says this is a bad idea, but this is bad, this, is, this won't work, killing the ideas before. So initially, in divergent thinking, in the opening part of this diamond shape, everything goes. And just as you say, you think about things that, of solutions or thoughts that you haven't before, and hmm, you know, in second thought, maybe that's a great idea. So then comes the opposite, the convergence thinking, so they close in this diamond, and there you really have to to to, uh, to find the, the best solution from all those that you've activated in the in the divergent part. So it is definitely what you're saying is a, is a critical part of creative thinking to be at the stage where you generate a lot of solutions, even if they seem uh, far-fetched and remote and, and unlikely, still you shoot in all directions, so to speak, and then uh, you have to choose one from them, but that's the only way to get to original solutions and unexpected solutions, just by not criticizing yourself internally. Doctor, <laughs> children's lives are so structured. I, I remember when I was a child, we had so much time for free play. But we don't allow that anymore. We don't allow the time for curiosity or creativity in our children. How do you think that will impact them later in life? So, yeah, it, it, in a way, it's really sad looking at what happens with kids. And, I mean, yes, the system, the, the school system, uh, I live in Israel now, but it, it, it's the same also in the U.S., not uh, due to even intentions or ignorance, but just, I guess, constraints of how uh, schools are built and kids sit together and they have to be quiet. So there's a lot of suppression going on. This might be a strong word, but uh, I think this is one place where I do want to be strong about this idea that that we suppress both the uh, original ideas, original thinking, but also the... I mean, I was a wandering kid, and I'm also here a wandering parent. I mean, my kids know that I'm not always listening, and you know that they... So, you know, uh, we have a routine at home uh, to deal with it. But I do the same with them. And, and if they don't do anything, uh, I actually think it's a great idea just to see a kid. And uh, it emphasizes what you said. I mean, how rare it is to see now a kid, you know, 10, 12 years old just sitting and not uh, doing anything. And, and, and obviously, when they're not doing anything, their mind wanders. That's good. I, I talk in a... I give a, an example. My little one is 10 now, but when she was uh, maybe six, I, I remember how I was on my way to go out to, to work and I saw her having a breakfast and staring through the, through the window and there's nature outside. And I came to her and I asked her, Amelia, what are you thinking about? And she said, I'm not thinking about anything. And it struck me as 
you know, you just look at something and you don't necessarily have to ask, you know, we have the grown-ups, have so many worries and concerns that they used to think about and we bother with things. So we can't just look at a flower and, and stay there with, with a flower. We immediately wander and, and drift and uh, I guess I drift to be talking about the negative aspects. But yes, back to your question, I think it's a great idea to, uh, and, and, and uh, following some talks I gave after their book came out, there's a couple of entities that's really interested in trying to facilitate and to in, in, enhance creativity in their organizations. And we talk about what are the conditions, you know, you should, we just discussed now, right, uh, the positive and the negative of what wandering. So you don't want to cultivate it too extreme. You want to be able to recognize what is good wandering and what's bad, both in terms of context and in terms of content. And, um, and you know, just have better control of, of when you do what. Again, I'm not claiming that, uh, I want to emphasize that we don't have much control over the process itself, but we can navigate it to some extent and we can have some effect about the content of what we wonder about. The situation where we allow ourselves to, to wonder and when not. So, uh, I think, you know, opening up this, this broad thinking that I told you about that, that is conducive to creativity, this is exactly the, the non suppressed thinking. Thinking broadly is not suppressed. And you need time for this. So, if kids are always from one class to another and from one activity to another, I, I do think that people still find us. I mean, their mind is so stubborn, it does find the time to to wonder, but I really hope that people won't think it's a waste of time. The book is Mind Wandering, How Your Constant Mental Drift Can Improve Your Mood and Your Creativity. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Barr and his work, you can visit moshebar.org. Moshe, in our final moments, in about 30 seconds or less, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, one thing that that struck me as I was uh, thinking about this research and then writing it up is that so much of our happiness and our, the quality of our life and the quality of our moment-to-moment experience really depends on what's going on in our mind. So it might sound trivial, it might sound also provocative that, you know, we tend to, I think many of us tend to blame some unhappiness on others and, and it's, it's like the world has caused these things for us, to us. But then you realize that your mind actually uh, colors experiences and colors your uh, your uh, happiness uh, and it really depends on the disposition and if the disposition includes broad mind wandering then by improving mood and creativity I think we're uh, in good shape. Moshe thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much John. I enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.